Hello and welcome to this special edition of Footy Time. So I managed to watch the 1990 Grand Final, the first ever AFL Grand Final, with the AFL being established in 1990. And of course, this one was fought out between the Essendon Bombers and the Collingwood Magpies. So let's have a look at the state of play in 1990. I've got to admit that this is kind of before my football watching time, so uh, I guess I have a le- less in-depth knowledge about what was going on in 1990 than perhaps a little bit later. So let's have a look at some of the finals. And for the, those of you who are a little bit younger as well, this final series probably won't make much sense to you because it's a completely different system. So let's see what we can make sense of. So the first qualifying final was actually between Collingwood and West Coast. Uh, so that actually ended up being a draw out at Waverley Park. So both teams finishing on 13-12-90. So it was close for the majority of the day. And in these days, you could have a draw in a uh, final other than a grand final and it still had to be replayed. So the next week, everyone came back and Collingwood and West Coast did it all again, except this time Collingwood ended up winning by 10 goals. So Dacos and Gavin Brown there with four apiece. Uh, So let's move on. So there was an elimination final. So elimination obviously means the loser goes out. So Hawthorne, having won the premiership the previous year in 1989, went down to the Ds on this occasion uh, in a pretty close game, nine points there. So Melbourne stays alive. So then we go to the first semi-final. So that's between the loser of that first game between Collingwood and West Coast and the winner of that elimination final. So we've got a semi-final being hosted at Waverley Park, even though West Coast is the home team. So these are the days where home ground advantage is kind of all over the place, especially for these interstate teams. So West Coast still do the job on Melbourne. Uh, looks like it was pretty close going into the last quarter, but... They stormed home, kicking 19 goals to win by 30 points. So uh, Chris Waterman and Peter Sumich there among the goals. So that meant that uh, there was a qualifier, it looks like, to go straight through to the grand final, which was the other semi-final between Collingwood and Essendon. And uh, it was somewhat close at three-quarter time, 28 points, but Collingwood ran all over the top of Essendon to basically win by 10 goals there. So that was a huge win to get them straight through to the grand final. And then in these days, there's only a single prelim final. So that was fought out between the loser there, Essendon, and West Coast. Again, at Waverley Park. It looks like a lot of these finals were played at Waverley Park, which is actually, funnily enough, just down the road from where I live now, uh, which is kind of cool. Get to drive past that every day. So... Uh, that doesn't yeah, look like much now. But anyway, going back to this prelim final, West Coast uh, dominant throughout the whole day, really. Uh, don't give West Coast a sniff and ends up being a 60-point win there. So they set up the rematch with Collingwood in the grand final there. And uh, yeah, I guess the Essendon fans would be a little bit worried coming to this one, knowing you've already gone down by 10 goals to the same opponent earlier in the final series. But so much pressure on Collingwood here. I think they'd made sort of nine or ten grand finals between 1958, their last flag, and this particular grand final, and they had lost them all. So I guess this is where the term, you know, the collie wobbles came from. And, uh, yeah, the idea that Colling would kind of go to water in grand finals, I don't really know how fair that was because I haven't seen the majority of those, well, I haven't seen any of those games 
maybe I'll get to them at one point. But uh, yeah, Collingwood had earned this tag after that drought at that after that fifty eight premiership where they managed to pinch one off Melbourne in a period where they were completely dominant. They won three before that fifty eight one and three after it. So, but for Collingwood, there would have been a massive uh, you know streak there by Melbourne. Anyway, before we get into some of what happened in the game, let's uh, have a quick look at the teams. Got to admit, I'm not familiar with a lot of these players, but uh, some of them did stand out more than others in the game that I just watched. So looking at the Collingwood backline, uh, Michael Christian, who used to do a bit of commentary, I think, for Channel 7 as well, quite tall and uh, good on the overhead mark. He did extremely well holding up the defense there, especially in the second half. Uh, a few other guys like Dennis Banks, Shane Morwood, pretty solid. Craig Kelly was always putting his body on the line, uh, throwing himself in. And yeah, the Collingwood defense really stood up really well throughout the whole day, as we'll hear a little bit about when we get into the rundown. The midfield looks pretty strong for Collingwood. Captain Tony Shaw only standing at 170 centimeters, but that sort of nuggety player keeps racking up the ball, getting it moving your team's way. And his skills look pretty decent as well. In this particular day and uh, who else have they got Tony Francis Mick McGuan Mick McGuan famous for the uh, running goal I think it's in a later season where he basically bounces all the way from the back line and kicks a goal from about 30 out so he's got a bit of speed a good turn uh, good sort of turn of speed there and yeah can sort of get out of trouble if he needs to so some good players there uh, a few guys like Darren Mullane Graham Wright uh, and then if we look at the forward line Nothing to write home about, really, other than Peter Dacos, who I think had kicked almost 100 goals for the year. The classic goal sneak, although it still looks like he's got a bit of height about him. Not, you know, your classic small forward. Uh, they're actually playing a bit of an unconventional forward line with Gavin Brown, an undersized key forward, uh, resting Damian Monko sometimes, uh, and then a few guys around the edges like Chris Iska and Russell. Uh, but, yeah... Let's have a look at the Essendon team. So uh, I heard it mentioned on the coverage that there was a few remnants of uh, some of the premiership teams in the 80s. And I guess that's one of the things that really stood out to me about this Essendon team. They just looked quite old. <laughs> uh, they had basically a backline almost exclusively made up of Danaher's. They had Terry Danaher, Chris Danaher, and uh, where's the other Danaher? Uh, perhaps uh, Anthony Danaher. There he is. <laughs> uh, so that was the majority of their backline. A few guys rotating through there as well. Uh, they had a skillful Derek Kickett running through sort of half forward, middle, a young Michael Long, uh, very tall uh, Vanderhaar, the Flying Dutchman he was called. I think very close to the end of his career here. But they did have some great experience in the form of their captain Tim Watson and uh, Mark Thompson as well. So uh, looking at the forward line now. Paul Salmon uh, and Darren Buick, probably the mainstays there, at least as far as guys I know and, you know, could threaten the scoreboard. Mark Harvey as well, sort of running through the midfield. And uh, yeah, so obviously we haven't gone through everyone there, but some of the main guys to be aware of. All right, so let's get into the game proper now. So all on the line for both teams, especially Collingwood having not been able to get the ultimate success since 1958. So you could tell what type of game this was going to be from early on. 
There was so much pressure around the ball. Every time the ball was in dispute, you'd got guys just coming, flying in, trying to put their body on the line and get the ball moving their way. It was very difficult, especially in this first half, for anyone to really get much of a clear possession or anything that resembled clean play. So it was very willing. And uh, I guess these were also the days where, uh, you know, we hadn't really had any of the tribunal stuff to stamp out any of the uh, swinging arms in the game. So there's a bit of that to come as well. So it was actually Paul Salmon marking on the chest early in this game to give Essendon the first couple of set shots. Uh, he did goal from one, but then missed his next couple of set shots. So I think he had all of Essendon's score early in this game, kicking 2-2. And I'll just take you to a little bit of play now. So Collingwood was trying to bring it out of their D50, and it was actually uh, Mark Harvey who got in the right spot and with a bit of clean possession was managing to spot up Tim Watson, who was about 50 out. And I guess he didn't quite think he had the leg in him to get all the way. So he managed to get it uh, long and deep into uh, Paul Salmon, who took another good mark. And he was close enough in for accuracy not to be a problem. So, yeah, at this point, I was sort of asking myself, like, Collingwood looks pretty average here. I, I know they go on to win this game, but, you know, how? <laughs> but uh, it did start to get a little bit better for Collingwood. So uh, they started getting a little bit more of uh, the play going their way. And it was actually Dacos receiving uh, near the boundary on the right-hand side. And he seemed to almost be running away from goal as he got the drop punt uh, across the body to thread the needle from the right forward pocket. Yeah, absolute classic Dacos goal. And they said on the coverage it was his 96th goal of the season. Collingwood was getting quite a few tricky set shots from quite a fair way out. Uh, but they found another way to break through where Gavin Brown found himself running into an open goal. And uh, that was due to a turnover on the 50. So highlighted how well Collingwood was sort of pressuring the ball. Nothing was easy for Essendon, uh, especially in this first half where any clean possession was hard to come by. So the quarter wasn't over despite the siren blaring and the fact that it was a 2-5-17 to 2-2-14 lead to Collingwood, which calculated uh, to five points there. So pretty... Pretty tight on the scoreboard, really, at this point. But yes, there was an, basically an all-in brawl uh, down Essendon's end of the field. I guess it got pretty willing. And uh, yeah, it looked like basically every player from both teams was involved. And there were proper, you know, swinging arms flying here. It looked like a few punches were landed. And then it pans to basically uh, Gavin Brown lying on the ground. He'd been knocked out and... Unfortunately, yeah, he's concussed from this. He goes off the ground. I think he stays off the ground the entire second quarter. But surprisingly, I guess these are the days where players actually come back on, even if it's been confirmed that they've got a concussion. I guess they don't always come back on, but it did happen in this case. And yeah, I guess it just is a bit of a nod to the era we're in here. Uh, You would never see anything like this in 2023 and I guess the AFL really wanted to stamp this type of thing out where you're getting these really quite ugly brawls and I guess it used to be part of the game but I'm kind of glad it's not a part of the game anymore but uh, yeah interesting to see when it was part of the game. So let's see what happens in the second quarter here. So Collingwood really gets a wriggle on to start this quarter. They're getting their running game going. They're looking much more cohesive as a unit And, uh, you know, they're using each other, making space, and they're starting to win a little bit more of the ball 
uh, around the contest as well. And uh, they get two quick goals, including a really nice long bomb from Chris Siska uh, from about 45, sees the ball sailing through the goals. And they're really... Uh, I, one other thing I noticed at the start of this quarter, and it really held throughout the whole day, was how hot the umpires were on holding the ball. If it was deemed that you weren't making a genuine attempt, uh, even if you hadn't really had a prior opportunity, like sort of in any way lying over the ball, the umpires were blowing, holding the ball uh, in an instant, really. So quite a few players on the day were getting found out by this. Uh, so it was actually a kick-in that I want to go to now from Essendon and uh, sort of highlights this. Uh, the Essendon player, Izard, wasn't quite able to control the ball uh, and sort of both players went to ground and he was pinged uh, for holding the ball, even though he really didn't have a chance to get rid of it. I suppose the umpire just wanted him to try and knock it out. Uh, but Collingwood got another goal from that. And in an instant, they uh, had a 22-point lead. And uh, yeah, Damien Monkhurst in the ruck was giving Collingwood first use out of the stoppages in this period of the game and really allowed Collingwood to put a lot of score on the board. So they're absolutely on a march with uh, more goals to Chris Hisker and Russell. And it was looking all Collingwood. Uh, and this all happened in about 10 minutes and they got the lead out to, uh, submit, well, it's not insurmountable at this point, but it was looking pretty big at 34 points uh, considering Essendon had only kicked a couple of goals to this point. So yeah, it, the game changed quite quickly here from a really you know contested game where it looked like both teams were sort of pretty scrappy. Collingwood just found a way to, uh, yeah, just get that little bit more cleanness into the game. Still nothing was too easy, but they were able to uh, yeah, get a little bit more going out of the stoppages and spot up some guys inside 50 in decent positions. So uh, they piled on the score quite quickly here. So Essendon at this point really needed a goal quite badly. And it was actually an absolutely inspirational play from Kick It up the other end. So off the hands of the pack, he gathered super cleanly and as soon as he got the ball basically did a blind turn I guess to get out of that little bit of congestion there and there were still players around him so somehow he sort of flung his right boot at it as he was sort of falling to ground and the ball managed to bounce through so fantastic goal there and uh, definitely needed by the Bombers there. Uh, so even with that little bit of a comeback by Essendon towards the end of the quarter it was still a very healthy lead to Collingwood and they were looking much better in general play, sharing the ball, making good position, seemingly working harder than Essendon. Like Essendon was still putting in a heap of effort, but all day it just seemed like they couldn't quite hit the targets, couldn't quite get to the right positions. And uh, I guess Collingwood just, uh, yeah, they had it all over them in sort of general play. And that all added up to a 34-point halftime lead to the Pies. So looking good to break that premiership drought at this stage. So let's have a look what happens after half time here. So quite early in the quarter, there was an absolute coat hanger by Terry Danaher on the wing uh, against Craig Stasevich, one of Collingwood's better players on the day to this point. And unfortunately it resulted in another concussion. So he went off and I uh, don't think he came back on for the rest of the game either. So that resulted in a 50 meter penalty from the wing and uh, Mick McGuan was able to convert uh, from that set shot there to give Collingwood a 40 point lead. So yeah, another nod to you know how willing this game was uh, with the rough stuff. 
So for a period of time, the ball just sort of seemed to be, you know, ping-ponging from either end. Most of the game was being played between the arcs. It was difficult for either team to make much of their forward thrusts. But it was still Collingwood looking like they had more structure around the ground and they were getting more players to the right positions. And after a long, deep entry, somehow Dacos got the perfect bounce and uh, from the angle got the quite high checkside kick online to goal again. Just towards the end of this quarter, though, Essendon did manage to just hang in there with a couple of marks inside 50 to Somerville and uh, also Grenwald to bring the margin back to 34 points as it had been at halftime. Although it was a uh, 40-point three-quarter time lead to the pie, so they got another one back there. So 11-10-76 to 5-6-36. So it was remarked a few times on the coverage that this was quite a low-scoring game, I suppose by 1990 standards. You know, five goals in three quarters of football is uh, very low. So the Collingwood defence and, you know, the full team buy-in to just put a heap of pressure on the ball, make everything difficult for Essendon, uh, was really working. And yeah, Essendon's disposal throughout the day was suffering. Uh, It was really difficult for them to hit up targets. And uh, yeah, when guys like Tim Watson got the ball, it really stood out because often he was able to find a target, whereas the majority of the other players uh, were not able to find targets or even just put the ball to their advantage, especially going inside 50. The number of kicks inside 50 that Collingwood, uh, you know, were outnumbering in the contest or just flat out marking it, there was a lot of uh, wasted entries for Essendon here. And partly, you know, that might be just they didn't have the legs to make sure they were making position to get enough guys there. But yeah, it really stood out how poor Essendon's disposal was on the day. Still, 40 points at three-quarter time. Stranger things have happened. So what happens next? So funnily enough, in this last quarter, almost the entire first half of the quarter was played in Essendon's half of the ground. Collingwood were repelling attacks again and again. So they were really struggling to get it past halfway at this point, but Essendon just couldn't make anything of it. They were getting a lot of ball around that 45-meter area out and then just not able to connect with anything going forward and when they did a couple of times get it onto Simon Madden one goal was disallowed for a little bit of a push really should have been let go that was a pretty poor decision by the umpire there and then when he finally did get a mark uh, he manages to kick it into the man on the mark so just nothing working for Essendon and then a few of their longer shots as well uh, you know either hitting the post or just missing so they were kind of their own worst enemy with the shots at goal but you know, even in this period where Essendon had a bit of dominance, Collingwood were just repelling again and again. And eventually, when they did manage to get it up the other end, uh, it was the uh, big man Barwick who'd kicked it four points to this point. Uh, he was getting plenty of it, but with a, from a bit of general play, he managed to get a nice snap online uh, to finally get one through the big sticks. And at this point, there really wasn't much time left. I think maybe five minutes of game time. So there was absolutely no doubt that the Pies would be getting that drought-breaking premiership. There really wasn't a lot to ride home about in this last quarter. It was just quite congested. And I think Collingwood were quite you know, happy to slow the game down with such a big lead. So they knew they didn't really have to do too much in the way of scoring and really uh, just continued to make things difficult for Essendon. And it all ended up 
as a 13-11-89 to 5-11-41 result. Uh, so a comprehensive 48-point win there to the Collingwood Magpies. And as we talked about earlier, it's the drought-breaking premiership, the one they so desperately wanted. And, you know, so many shots of uh, after the game, panning to the crowd, they were just lapping it up, as of course you would. But, you know, when you haven't won for 42 years and had so many missed opportunities, it just makes it all the sweeter. And Lee Matthews uh, showing a bit of emotion there as well, that drought-breaking premiership. And uh, who got the uh, Norm Smith? Well, it was none other than Tony Shaw. So he was a consistent four-quarter performer, well over 30 possessions, and uh, he's the, sort of the link-up man and, yeah, going in hard. So well-deserved there as well. So, yeah, that is the 1990 Grand Final. It's funny the way Collingwood is able to, you know, continue to make so many Grand Finals, even if they don't seem to have the best team on paper. Like, I don't really know a lot about the strength of, uh, you know, the other teams in the competition at this point. But there wasn't... Yeah, I don't think by any stretch this Collingwood team or even the Essendon team were some of the better teams we've seen in, in grand finals. But yeah, they got the job done. They worked as a team and they uh, put Essendon under a heap of pressure all day and broke through to kick a winning score. And that's absolutely all you can ask. So that is it. The start of the AFL era, Collingwood salutes and Essendon uh, on their way to perhaps you know, flushing out a few of the older guys after this disappointing performance. And uh, we'll see that it comes good for them in a couple of seasons' time with uh, the introduction of many younger guys, the Baby Bombers, and getting that 1993 premiership there as well. I guess it definitely did feel like a different era watching this game, not one I'm entirely familiar with. But hopefully if this was more your era, this helped bring back some nice memories. Or if you're a little bit younger... Maybe this introduced you to uh, how the football was played in the early 90s, which was uh, quite different. You know, the skill level uh, maybe a little bit lower, but, you know, that toughness and uh, hardness and, yeah, a few swinging arms were regular occurrences. We'll leave it there. Bye for now.